Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. To read the scriptures for today, I'll be reading Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 to 11. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? I so disturbed within me. Put your faith in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his son is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is God's word. As I, uh, as I age, I'm trying to exercise still, and one thing I do that I hate is running. Um, I, and and I, I figured out why. Uh, I'll never really excel at it. I just do it because um, it's, it's, it's the easiest thing I can do, and yet I, I hate it. Um, and I know why now that I'll never actually be a great runner. So I run the same distance every time. I never run past it. Um, and, and I basically will watch my phone to see, like, just to get to that number, and then I'm done. Um, and the reason I won't ever go past that is I read something the other day about the wall. And this is something that runners experience, and any of you that have ever trained you know, know what I'm talking about. And it's this thing, apparently, that people, uh, when they're training, especially for marathons, will come to a point, oftentimes, oftentimes at the very end of their training, right before they're about to kind of run the longest distance and sort of compete at the highest level that they've ever done before. And it's this thing that happens where your body feels like it has hit a wall. And mentally, physically, uh, and like if we can say your soul is sh- like literally shutting down and refusing to go any further. And, and even though, and, and it's something that actually happens to your entire body, and they say often runners experience this um, in sort of the last sort of set of training, and it is one of the most demoralizing things that happens to them because they kind of believe, well, all of my training has been a waste of time. Now, this is a huge reason why I don't run. The rest of us normal people say, yeah, exactly, there's a wall. Like, you're just not supposed to go through that. But you actually have to try to push through it, apparently, if you want to be a good runner, which is why I never will be. And most sane people just say, see, your body's telling you you shouldn't be doing this. Um, But this is what happens, where everything in you literally brings you to a grinding halt, and you say, I cannot go any further. And it is both a physical thing and kind of a mental, emotional thing as well. Now, for the rest of the world... (laughs) Uh, though we may not have experienced that from, a, uh, from an athletic standpoint in a run, we all know that feeling. We all know that there are circumstances and times in life where we come to a point where we think, That's, I cannot go any further. A- and we, in a sense, hit a wall of our own. Sometimes that comes through um, just an experience that we've had, 
or a relationship that we're in or a place in life where we feel stuck in. And it's not just sort of trouble because we, you know, we all have trouble and things that we've gone through that um, have made life difficult for us. But this is the kind of thing that you say, this is as far as I can go. I feel totally grounded. I feel totally stuck. I can't actually move any further in this situation. And it's not contained, in a sense, to one area of our, of our lives. And in, in fact, it kind of feels like it is a wall, like we have come up against something that is higher than we can see, wider than we can go around, and there's actually no way to progress through it. Now, every one of us maybe has circumstances in our lives that we can say, yeah, I've, I've been there. Or maybe you come in this morning, you're like, I'm there right now. Or maybe there's people in your life that you know are there, and you're walking alongside them, and you're going, I've hit a wall with them. I don't know how to walk with them anymore through this. I don't know how to traverse this. There's just no way sort of past this thing. It's literally now become this sort of dominant thing in my life, and I don't actually know how to go through it. Every one of us, if we haven't had an experience like that, will. If we've had it once, I, I hate to tell you, it seems like in life there may, that may, it may not be the only one. Um, and every one of us knows people. We could probably go around the room today talking about people we know who are at it today. That feeling of saying, in a sense, we're almost, and sometimes we can even feel this bodily, but mind, heart, soul saying, I'm shutting down. I don't know how to deal with this. Um, I've tried everything that I know how. For people of faith, sometimes we find that at this point, um, in our Christian journey, it's where the categories, the nice, neat categories of God have been blown apart. Where we think, well, God wouldn't let this situation get any further, and he seems to. Where uh, I think, well, I've, I've, I've prayed everything that I know how to pray. I feel like I've prayed all the right ways. Or I feel like I've done all the right things. And I thought God was actually going to come through for me. And I thought if you're a good person, you try to be a good person, you try to do good things, you try to uh, honor, uh, you know, make the hard decisions that God would want you to, that eventually he would bless you. And sometimes we come to that point where we're saying, you know what? None of that seems to be true right now, actually. Because there's an impasse. I don't, know how, I don't even know how I got here. I didn't plan to get here. And God doesn't seem to be getting me through it. And as people of faith, we often turn to God at those times when we are at the wall saying, God, are you close? Are you near? Are you working? What's happening here? And sometimes we can be able to even think sort of, God, like, are, are you doing this to me? Right? Like, sometimes that's even more complicated. This thing has, have you allowed this to happen? Have you orchestrated this thing? What's going on? Because you clearly see what I'm in, and yet I don't know how to get through it. Sometimes that comes with a feeling like, I don't know if I can hear God anymore. Like maybe I had a season in life where I felt like I was close to him, where, where um, you know, where, when I read scripture, when I prayed, or when I was worshiping, I, I kind of sensed his closeness, and now it feels like I'm going through a season or a period where I don't even know if he's there anymore. And I don't know if he hears me. In a sense, it feels like my prayers are sort of going up and hitting a ceiling. It's something that's going on in my spiritual life, a distance from God, a, a distance from others, something that I cannot explain. And sometimes the, those loneliest times or when we are surrounded by people and, and surrounded by even good things in our life and we think, well, why don't I actually feel it? What is going on in me? Sometimes it has nothing to do with circumstances, and yet we know something inside of us has hit a wall, and we don't know what to do. Author Peter, Peter Scacero, who's, uh, who's written uh, one of the books that many of us are journeying through uh, called the Day by Day book, in a book that that's based on, he says this, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, 
an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, God, the church. We discover that for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's getting us there, or when this will be over. It's a good description, right? Many of us can read that and go, yep, that's me. That's where I am, or that's where I've been. It feels like almost I might be on the edge of a season like that. Or you know others who have traversed that. And as they have come to you saying, what do I do in this situation? I feel as though my very self or the very foundation beneath me, and especially if I'm a person of faith, my very belief in God in a sense seems to be shaken in this experience where I am at the wall. And, and at the wall, because it's something we can't actually solve, we, have, we, we, we either quit or we quit on the inside. Some of us feel like, well, I, I can't tell everyone that I, that I need to quit on this marriage or this situation or my relationship with God, but inside I'm kind of shutting down. It's over. And so we stay on the outside, but inside we quit. Or I think for many of us, and, and perhaps we can see this in our own lives or in the lives of other people, this is where addictions become to take over because we don't know what to do. And so we just sort of turn our back at the wall and say, well, I've, I've got to busy myself with something else. And so perhaps we get addicted to work or we get addicted to binge watching television or we get addicted to eating or we get addicted to um, social media or we get addicted to something else, right? Because Addiction is, in a, at its heart, a, a distraction from something we don't know what to do about. We can't deal with something. And for many of us, it's at that wall, at the place where some of this addiction begins because we just don't know, and so we turn our back on it. And so sometimes we actively quit. Some of us have walked away from our faith. Maybe you're back here in church for the first time or the first time in a long time because something happened that so shook your very beliefs in God that you said, I don't have a category for this anymore. This is not what I thought God would do. This is not what I thought the Christian life would be. I'm done. I'm out. And some of us have said that out loud and literally walked away, and others of us are still here, but in our hearts, we have battled with that, and we wrestle with it. When the circumstances of our lives don't fit the categories that we have of God, we are at a wall, we are at a crisis, and we don't know how to move forward. One of the things that I believe we need to continue to affirm and speak about in the church is that church is not a place, you know, we talked about this whole iceberg thing about how many, in many ways the 90% of who we really are is below the surface and the 10% is what is seen to both to us and other people and that we can be tempted to just manage the 10%. And oftentimes when we've hit the wall, we're, trying to, we're afraid to actually say that out loud. And so we just want to make sure everybody else looks like the 10% looks good. And that the church actually can become a place where we just manage the 10%. The church actually isn't a place for people um, who doubt. It's a place for people who believe. So if you doubt, you can't be here. That, that church isn't a place for people who question God. This is, church is a place for people who believe God. The church isn't a place for um, people who, who, whose lives are a bit of a mess. No, church is a place where no matter what you think or what you feel, you show up and do. Right? In many ways, that's what we think that church actually becomes another, just another sphere in life where we manage the 10% that is seen. And one of the things I love about Scripture, and one of the things I love for my kids, you know, in a sense, is even these, these young ones are here sort of, and, and their beliefs in God are simple, and that's a good thing because the Scriptures say we actually have to have a faith in God like that. But you know, right, as you're sitting there watching them, as they're going to open those Bibles and begin to read, they're going to realize, man, life is hard. And there's stuff that I don't understand about God in my own life and even in His Word. 
And as I begin to wrestle with that, one of the things I love is the scriptures is not this neat and tidy book with very pithy solutions that says to us the kind of things that we're tempted to say to each other when we're hit at the wall. Oh, don't worry, you know, God will come through. Oh, don't worry, God won't test you beyond what you can bear. It's like, well, it feels like I'm past that point. But the scriptures actually, even though they have those verses in there, it's full of human experience. And the psalm that Alan read for us is one of those psalms, Psalm 42. And I just love what, what, uh, what some of the things that David says in there. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all over, where is your God? He's describing this experience. Look, there's a, I'm going through hardship in my life, and other people who see my faith are saying, what's the point of your faith? You ever had people say that to you? Maybe sometimes overtly or maybe just sometimes indirectly. Maybe people close to you, people in your family say, why do you believe? Or they might even point to some of the suffering and chaos around the world and say, how could you believe in God like that? Or, or why are you still praying? Or why are you still so faithful to God? Like, where is your God? David's saying, like, and I'm crying my eyes out, and people are kind of mocking me in my faith. He says, I remember when I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Almighty. He says, I remember those good days. I remember the days when I felt like God was at my back. When I can sing those songs, you know, my God will come through always. I remember how that felt, and I used to go with shouts of joy. But he said, that's not this day. There was a day like that, but it's not now. And he says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. We love that verse. We make songs about it and stuff. But he says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. You know, God is not a cup of water, David's saying. He's an ocean that sometimes threatens to overwhelm me. You know, like sometimes at the wall we go, God, are you doing this to me? <laughs> because this feels, you ever been in, a, in an ocean? I've tried to surf unsuccessfully three times. And waves are terrifying. And, and I'm talking like these kind of waves. And never mind like the ones that could actually kill you. But I've been in places where the, the waves crash on you. And what they do underneath is they turn you over and you don't know which end is up. And I remember one time when I was actually out in Indonesia, and I was, it was the first time I was learning to surf, I thought, I don't need lessons, rent a board, five bucks, I'm good to go. And I was out there, and, and one wave comes, like, pummels me into the ground. I, I literally felt like I hit the bottom, and then the board hit me in the back of the head, and then another wave, and I'm thinking, if I come up and there's another wave, I'm done. Because I had been underwater for a long time, <laughs> right? I don't know what people on the shore were. It was an entertainment for them, but... You ever you feel like that when the thing is like, God, it, it feels like in some respects you're an ocean. Like you're so much bigger than I can contain. And in some ways it feels like all of this has swept over me and I don't know what to do. I, my feet are not underneath me anymore. I don't know which end is up. And David's expressing that with the ocean. Then he, this, is, this, is the, this is the line that encapsulates Psalm 42. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> He's professing in the same moment saying, God, you are my rock, but why have you forsaken me? Who else said that, right? Years later on the cross. God, you are my rock, but why have you forsaken me? And he's talking to himself. You know, because he's saying, it's hard enough that other people are saying to me, where is your God? But you know what? I'm saying it too, if I'm honest. I'm asking you, God, where are you in this moment when I'm at the wall? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. David is expressing the trouble that we find back and forth at the wall. In this place where we feel the doubt that other people have about our own belief in God because we have it too. And we've come to that place where he doesn't seem to be answering, he doesn't seem to be close, and what do we do in that moment? One of the things that begins to happen at the wall, remember we talked about how 
Like this is about the 90% that is below the surface that we're not often aware of. Do you know what begins to come to the surface when we hit the wall? This belief that I am in control. Right? That's the, that's the hardest part about being at the wall because suddenly what comes up from underneath, though we would never say it out loud, is we actually believe that we are in control of our lives. And we want to be in control of our lives. So everything we believe about ourselves is that I am in control. Everything that I do is to strive to get control. And when we hit the wall, everything that comes up within us, this sense of anger, despair, frustration, addiction, like whatever it is, is because we've actually realized in that moment, I'm not actually in control of this at all. And our frustration with our circumstances can also turn to frustration with God because we think, well, there's got to be somebody in control. I thought it was you, but you have allowed this or something's going on. I don't even know how to interpret what's going on here in light of who you are. Have you? Where are you? Do you hear? It's this point where this lack of control begins to surface and actually is the greatest angst. And you realize this is why people love religion because you can control religion. In religion, I am in the driver's seat. Just tell me what to do. Tell me the rules. Tell me the holy place. Tell me the holy days. Tell me what to eat, not what not to eat, and I'll do that, and God will bless me because I'm in control because that's how religion works. Life with God is terrifying. She's not in control at all. He's not a cup of water. You know, God isn't the magic meal, right? That we go, well, this is my life, and I'm, you know, that squirt, 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 da, da, da. Like I said, I'm going to add God to my life, and everything will taste better. No, he is an ocean that I cannot control. And that sometimes I wonder, are you going to kill me? Can I actually stay in this deep with you? And author uh, Richard Rohr says this, now believe it or not, we are threatened by such a free God because it takes away all of our ability to control or engineer the process. It leaves us powerless and changes the language from any language of performance or achievement, like something that I could do, to that of surrender, trust, and vulnerability. That is the so-called wildness of God. We cannot control God by any means whatsoever, nor even by our good behavior, which tends to be our first and natural instinct. That utter and absolute freedom of God is fortunately used totally in our favor, even though we are still afraid of it. It is called providence forgiveness, mercy. But to us, it feels like wildness precisely because we cannot control it, manipulate it, direct it, earn it, or lose it. Anyone into controlling God by his or her actions will feel very useless, impotent, and ineffective. There's a story in Mark chapter 6 of Jesus and his disciples, and maybe you, you know it, is when he's with them, and there's like several thousand people there, and he needs to feed them, and they don't have any food, and Jesus turns to them and says, what do you got? And they said, well, we got five loaves and two fish, but there's like almost 10,000 men, women, and children here. What's that going to do? And Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish and feeds thousands of people, and the disciples get, each get a basket left over. You know, they were sort of looking for dinner for a week, and he fed them for a month kind of in that moment. It was mind-blowing, so excited. They must have been like fist-bumping, chest-bumping, you know what guys do, and they're like you know, all pumped up. And, and, then, and then they get into a boat, and it says, and they go out, and Jesus is with them, and Jesus falls asleep, and this storm comes that threatens to kill them. And they're screaming at him, where are you? We're like, wake up! How could you leave us here? We're going to die! And we kind of laugh at them, but like, they were going to die. They were sailors. They were fishermen. They knew the sea. In, in those days, the sea was the place of, of death um, 
and, and sort of black magic. It was, it was a place where people went out to die, you know? Like often, you know, women and children would send their, their, uh, the, the men out to do their work and they wouldn't come home. The sea claimed so many lives. And so the sea was full of evil and, and treachery and darkness. And so they're in the middle of this storm and they've forgotten that Jesus had sort of done this great thing that they loved about. In that moment, all they cared about was, don't you see us? We're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Right? It's like, as we, we can, if we think about it long enough, we, we empathize with that. I know you're here, but you seem to be asleep. Can you not see that this is going to kill me? They'd forgotten in that moment, you know, what he had done. And actually says they, forget, they didn't understand the loaves. <laughs> they didn't get it. it was the same Jesus with them on the brink of death as the day when they thought this was the best day in the world. That he has not left. He is actually right with us at the wall. The amazing thing about Jesus and why we sing about him, you know, is he's the one who's actually journeyed through the wall. In the garden, Jesus clawing the dirt, in a sense, begging God, saying, is there really no other way than this? Right? How many times have we said, God, this is your plan? There's no plan B? Jesus himself fully submitted and loving the Father, you know, the, the perfect one, journeyed with us through the wall, came to this point, even though he knew he had come to die, begging God for a plan B. It just tells me that we have a Savior, in a sense, who is identified with us in every way. It's why we say you are the lion, but you are the lamb. You understand what it is to beg God for plan B. It says he clawed at the dirt and he sweat so much it was like blood was coming out, sweat like drops of blood. It's just a picture of, I don't know if blood was actually coming from, it's just a picture of the gravity of what he felt in that moment as he was begging the father who he, know, he knew loved him and who he loved and who he wanted to obey saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. Is, there really, is this really the only way? And then on the cross, again saying, God, why have you actually forsaken me. It feels like you have left me alone. That Jesus is actually called the great forerunner of our faith, the one that in a sense who has gone before us, that when we find our place at the wall, we sort of go, okay, this blows apart my categories of God, but this is not unknown and unseen by God. This is not actually some place where I, I, I must have made a mistake, otherwise I wouldn't have ended up here. You know, many times we look down a road that we have to choose and we say path A and path B, and we're like, well, path A has this at it, and path B has this, and so path B looks better, so I'm going to choose path B. And suddenly we run into the wall. We think, oh, I should have, I, I heard wrong. It's like, no, how did, we didn't even know actually what was down there. And regularly in our relationship with God, we will find ourselves at the place of the wall. You know why? And listen, I cannot tell you what plans God has for you at the wall? I mean, this is sometimes the trouble we get into with each other. And we say, God, why is this happening? Why is God doing this to me? And, we, and then we, and that's when we throw out all these kind of verses. Oh, God must be doing that. God must be doing this. And I always remember Job's friends. You know, Job, the one who, who suffered. And his friends who were sort of with him were doing well when they had their mouths shut. But as soon as they opened their mouths and tried to explain to him what God must be doing, they got into trouble. And at the end, God says, he actually never gives Job an answer for what happened. But he says to his friends, you shouldn't have told Job what you thought I was doing. You misrepresented me. I think as a community of faith, as a body of people, we have to be okay and say, you know what, there are times and seasons and places where we will come to this place where we are at the wall and there is no answer in a sense. And we can't just flip through the scripture and say, well, this is what must be going on. 
most often it's only understood afterwards. And even then, sometimes we're like, I don't get that season of my life. I don't know what was happening. But here's what I know about the wall. I know what's on the other side of it. You know what's on the other side of it? Freedom from being proud and judgmental. Because, you know, if you have had to go through your dark night of the soul, St. John of the Cross called it, if you've had to go through that, you have a deeper appreciation for other people who are going through it as well. You're just less judgmental. Often we judge other people because we have no idea what we're going through, what they're going through. And when you have had to go through your own journey at the wall, you become less judgmental. You also have a freedom from pride because you realize, you know what, in that moment, I'm actually not in control. I thought I was, but clearly I'm not. And that the things that actually need to go away from our lives, the judgmental spirit, the sense of pride, begins to ebb away. You know what else happens at the wall? If we let it, we begin to worship. Remember my dad saying to me years ago, he said that place that we come to where we cannot fit God into our categories anymore, when we do not know, understand what God is doing, is a place of mystery, and it is a wide place. And he said in that moment, some harden their hearts and walk away, and others enter into worship. It is the, mystery is the beginning point of worship. Friends, you and I don't want to worship a God that we know and understand and can make all sense of, and then, because then he's not God. If we can wrap our minds around him, he's just a figment of our imagination or something we have created and said, it's an idol. I like you. You do these things for me. I will worship you. No, he is an ocean that you cannot control. And at that point that we come to the wall, and it is really only at the wall, and I have wrestled with this in God saying, God, why is it that I can't seem to worship you like that in many other, why does it seem like only through trials do I come to a place of worship with you that's like no other? I can't manufacture it in times of blessing. It just comes in times of trial. And I love and crave and always pray for the times of blessing, but something happens in the trial. Something happens at the wall if I let it, that it takes me into a deeper place of mystery and worship with a God that is an ocean that I cannot control but invites me in to the deep. At the wall, as we let God lead us through, it is not only a place where pride and judgmental attitudes begin to ebb away, but it's a place of worship. It's ultimately a place of, place of freedom. So on the back of your bulletins there, there's just a little prayer. As we wrap up, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I want us to be able to pray a different prayer. And this is the prayer that you can say, you know what? This is the thing I know I want for sure. I want to be free from pride. I don't know about you, but I see it in my life everywhere all the time. And I'm like, God, I just want you, I want you to slay this beast. I want you to put a knife in it. It is the ultimate battle in a sense with sin and self is pride. And here's what I know. That even if the circumstances of your life don't change, if you change, things will change. At the wall is this place. Whatever else God might be doing, and I don't know what that is in your life. I don't even know what it is in my life sometimes that he's trying to do. But I know one thing he can do. I know one thing that will happen on the other side of the wall as he leads us through it. If we will wait patiently for him. That's what David said, right, in Psalm 40, two Psalms earlier. I waited patiently for the Lord. And I know I've realized I am so impatient. I'm so frustrated with the way things go. I want them to change. I want people to change. I want this to change. I want that to change. And God says, you need to learn to wait because when you wait on the other side of this is true freedom from pride, which I know deep down, VJ, in your heart, you want. I want a true freedom to know, you know what, I'm actually not in control and you are. 
I want to be less judgmental of other people. You know, because I love people who are humble and non-judgmental. Those are the kind of people I want to be around. God says, I'm going to make you like that. I want to be free from trying to control you and just let you lead me. I trust you. And I want to be free to wait for you. Friends, I believe in a, in a world of hurt, we need to know and become people that are not only able to, to wait patiently and let God do this in our lives, but to learn how to be people who are able to wait patiently with others. Because the simple answers, the simple solutions are not the full story. I believe as we let God work on us at this place of the wall, that this is the kind of thing, these are the kind of people that deep down, I know this is the kind of person I want to be. And yet I know it's, it's him. And so even as we sing um, in response and worship, just be patient. Just say, okay, God, I'll, I'll wait for you in this place. But you have to lead me. Mother Teresa's biography, she talked about how she went through long, long seasons of life without sensing the presence of God near her. Like if anyone, we would think, oh, well, God will surely be near to her. Like, is there anyone on earth? And she said, in those dark seasons, she said, I came to love the darkness, she said, because it taught me to love him more. And she said, I resolved in those days, even if I could not sense his love, I would love him better than he had been loved by anyone she said, I came to realize God was doing something in that moment in me. So I just want to bless you with patience to let him do his work in you. The second thing I want to bless you with, David says, put your hope in God for yet I will praise him. And the word yet there means he's saying there will come a day I know. There used to be a day when I felt the wind of the spirit at my back. It's not now, but there will come a day again when I will praise him again. And so I just want to bless you with hope. You'd say, okay, I'll, pay, I'll have patience to wait, but I know a day is coming when something will erupt from me again that has been in there for a long time. And in that day, I will praise him again. Would you receive that? Amen.